Good morning, church. We're grateful that you're here with us this morning at Stone Point. If you are a first-time guest with us, either uh, in Edgewood or here on the Wills Point campus, we're glad that you've taken time to be with us. Uh, today, we are continuing a series that we began last week to kick off the new year called Heart and Soul. And uh, when you read the title of it, you think, oh, we're just talking about the heart. We're talking about the soul. What does that matter? Uh, because naturally, I think when we uh, begin to think about how we were created, we think, oh, we were created with a body and our body houses a soul. Uh, but instead, I think as we discovered last week at the beginning of the series, we are actually a soul that ultimately is housed by a body. And I think there's a huge difference there. We're not just merely taking care of a body, but we're taking care of what God has entrusted to our care, and that is our soul. A soul that uh, should long after the things of God, but is oftentimes prone to wonder. Now, if you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you to do a couple of things. One, I encourage you uh, to begin to ask God uh, what it is that your soul is ultimately wondering for. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeking after? And then uh, another thing that I encourage you to do uh, was to realize that um, as we dive into this series that I wanted you to be here uh, with us as we go through it. So I encourage you initially to be here for the next five weeks. And then I said, hey, and after that, we've got another series that I think is going to be very helpful. And so I asked all of our body on both campuses to, to dedicate themselves to 10 weeks. And this week, I have heard multiple people say, Brandon, I'm going to be there eight of 10 weeks, or I'm going to be there six of 10, or I'm going to be there nine of 10. I can't make all 10. Well, let me just explain something to you. If you can't be here physically, you can still be with us. And here's where you go. You go to live.stonepointchurch.com, and you can hang out with us anywhere in the world. And so we want to welcome everyone uh, that's in Florida hanging out on the beach this weekend, enjoying the warm weather instead of the cold weather. Wherever you are, you can be with us as we continue to discover what it is that God wants. Now, in this series, we're going to begin moving towards the body and, and how we should care for it because it houses the soul in which God has given us. But in order for us to do that, we also need to realize that our soul can wander and ultimately not find rest in Christ the way we are designed to. And so last week we talked about finding rest. I encourage you to go back and watch it if you haven't. But let me just kind of sum up last week with this statement. And so here it is. Um, you can see it on the screen. It just simply says, the wandering soul is always seeking, but never finding. It's intrigued by everything, but fulfilled by nothing. So what we're saying is, is that the scripture would tell us that after the creation story, there was sin that entered into the world. And when sin entered the world, the human condition says, we should find something to fulfill this longing in our soul. The soul is where our emotions, our will, our intellect, ultimately our spiritual condition are all seated. And so when we talk about guarding the heart and the mind of a person, when we talk about guarding ourselves, we're ultimately talking about the soul. We're talking about the things that God has entrusted to our care that ultimately has an appetite. And that appetite can lean towards a spiritual inclination or ultimately, we can, we can be fulfilling our soul in other ways. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is this, is that what is it that we are intrigued by? 
And ultimately, why is it that oftentimes we don't find rest and fulfillment in God and ultimately in His Son Jesus, the Christ, the one who gave His life for us, what is it that replaces that? Ultimately, God knew that we and ultimately the people of Israel would struggle with other things. Matter of fact, that's why he came up with the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, God would reveal the Ten Commandments to a guy named Moses, and Moses would reveal it to the people. But look in Exodus chapter 20 with me. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, then you can look up at the screen on both campuses. We'll provide the Scripture. But this is what God said to the people of Israel, ultimately to Moses, to the people. He says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What he's talking to is a group of people called the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was enslaved to the hands of the Egyptians for 400 plus years. God ultimately begins to free them through a guy named Moses. And then he goes, now let me give you some instructions, some commands, some ways, some decrees so that you know how to honor me, so that you don't find yourself craving after other things. And then he said in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And my friends, when he says those words, that's the first commandment out of 10. He goes, there should be no other gods before me. That means no other thing, no carved image, no birds, no reptiles, nothing else should be ahead of me. And then in verse 4, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or the likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is under the water of the earth. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, hey, and you shouldn't bow down to those things. You shouldn't bend your knee towards those things. And what he's talking about there is that God is jealous over the idols in our life. And so we know that ultimately God says, if you're not careful, your soul will wander after other things in the earth and you'll begin to put them as a priority above God. And God says, and that should not be. Matter of fact, here's what you need to know. Our soul originally was not created to wonder, but to find rest and fulfillment in God. That's the way that God ultimately created us and our humanity. It was God, man as the vice region of God. We came and we went in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were fulfilled. They found their rest. They found their satisfaction in God. And ultimately, they ruled over the earth and they subdued it. And God says, and I want you to multiply and fill the earth. So here was the original command of the Garden of Eden. God says, you are my people You're created in my image, not just physically, but with a soul, a soul that should find rest and fulfillment and satisfaction in God and God alone. All of what you see in the earth is yours. You rule over it. You enjoy it. It's good. You find your pleasure in the pursuit of honoring me and taking care of all the things. You work with your hands, but work is fulfilling. And then sin entered in the world. And it brought everything crashing down. And from there on, we would wonder, we would search diligently, and we wouldn't find. We would inquire, and we would not be fulfilled. And so God says, hey, be careful not to put other gods before me. Don't put other things ahead of me. And he would even remind the Jewish people, because over time they would forget this. Oh, how easily it is to forget that God should be the top priority in our life. And so the Jews, he would uh, tell Moses later on, hey, you need to remind the people what it looks like to find fulfillment in me, to find rest in me and me alone, to not put other images, other things above me. And so in the original creation, it was God, it was man, 
Then it was everything else. And so Moses is going to instruct the people what God says. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, there's a reminder from Moses. And in Deuteronomy verse 9, it just says, um, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Okay, if you have a pen, you could underline that or you could make a note of that because I think that's really the theme of today is to keep watch over our soul diligently. And so here it is, Moses being instructed by God to tell the people, you and Israel should what? Keep your soul diligently. What does that mean? What does it mean to guard yourself, to guard your soul? And he says, the reason you do that is lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from the heart of the days of all your life. The, the bottom line is what God is trying to help the people of Israel and Moses, their leader, see is that if we're going to have God as a top priority in our life, we have to continually remind ourselves who we are without God. And we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our soul. See, we, we often think, we think, oh, you know what? I should take care of my body. And there's a lot of you in here that as you kick off a new year, you're like, I got new resolutions and I got new calorie counters. And some of you have already downloaded an app that's watching everything you eat. And, and you go, I'm caring for my body. And you're watching calorie intake and you're reading labels. But the question is, is are you guarding your soul? Because I think oftentimes we think I'll take care of the physical but are you caring for the spiritual? And God tells the people of Israel, you should guard yourself. Watch over your soul diligently so you don't forget the things that God has done. Later on in that same chapter, in verses 15 through 19, I want you to see what the Lord instructs them to do. He says in verse 15, therefore watch yourselves very carefully. The idea is look intently into the things of the heart. Pay careful attention to the soul. Since you saw no form of the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. What he says is, he goes, look, I know that, that you couldn't see God in a burning bush. I get it that you can't see God as a, a, a pillar of fire. I, I get it that you, you can't see God. I get that. But don't replace God because you can see something. And if we're not careful, we'll go, well, you know what? I can't see God. I can't feel God. How do I know that God is there? And so we find something in our soul that says, let's create something that we can see, that's tangible, that we can touch, and let's worship it. And that's what he's guarding against. Verse 16, he says, beware that you don't act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure. That could be the likeness of a male or a female. could be the animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's under the water of the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and all the stars and the host of heaven, that you be drawn away and you bow down to them and you serve them. Things to the Lord your God is allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. He goes, be careful that you don't take God's creation and somehow begin to worship it. You replace the creator with created things. And listen, I tell you, that's what's happened in humanity. Just rewind with me for just a second. In the original creation, God created us to have a soul that found fulfillment in God and God alone. And then when everything went awry in the Garden of Eden, our soul began to what? Seek and never find, inquire and never be fulfilled. And what happened was, is we decided that instead of putting God first, 
and us being second, all the other parts of creation being the latter part, we've flipped it. And here's what we've done now. We have taken all the creation and we have put it ahead of God. Then it's us and now God's somewhere at the bottom. And so people are worshiping things that are meant to be good and not great, as opposed to the thing that is great, which is God, and all the things that he created, which are good. And so what happens if we're not careful, we take the God order and we flip it upside down in our lives. And God says, you should pay careful attention to that. Why? Because we're created to serve God. And if we're not careful, we will serve other created things. And so you're here today and you go, okay, so so, so help me understand what you're saying. Well, there's really three things that we have to begin to do. One is we got to discover if there are idols in our lives. Is there something that your heart is chasing after? And so last week we said, look, we're prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to find fulfillment in other things. We know that Jesus is our complete rest. But what keeps you from finding fulfillment and rest in Jesus and ultimately his salvation found at the cross? It's when you begin to have idolatry. It's when other things go ahead of God. And so here's the question. Last week, I asked you, what is it that your heart is chasing? What is it that your soul is longing for? And I pray that some of you contemplated of that, that you prayed about that, that you asked God to reveal. There are some of us that we didn't do that, either because we didn't think it was that important, or quite frankly, we didn't want the answer. But the bottom line is, we have to discover if there's anything in our life that comes ahead of God. And the question might be, well, what does that even mean? I mean, how do we discover idols? And Craig Rochelle, he warns us, he goes, look, the reason that we start, struggle to discover idols is because our lives are so full. That's why our soul is so empty. I mean, we live full lives. We have so many things going on. We've got busy, hectic schedules. Just yesterday, we had a group of about 20 people head to Mexico, and they're going to be there for the next week with one of our strategic partners called MITC, which is a school that's encouraging kids to go out and they're planting churches and they're pastoring places in southern Mexico. It's a really incredible thing. But one of the reasons I'm envious about them leaving is that their schedules and their lives are not near as jam-packed as ours are here. I mean, one of the things that you need to know about Mexico is that they're always late. They would say they're on time. What that means is they don't get in a hurry like we do. It's not the fast-paced, frantic life. It's not chasing after meaningless things. For us, there's schedules, there's demands, there's meetings, there's expectations, there's charts, there's graphs. There's all these different things that have to be done. And if we're not careful, what we'll find ourselves doing is we'll find ourselves chasing after things that ultimately will not bring fulfillment. Listen, I remind you last week that when somebody asks you, hey, how's your week been going? And you reply, oh, it's so busy. That that's actually not a compliment to the God you serve. It is not a blessing to to you or your life when somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing? You go, oh, I'm so busy. What that seems to me is that you're frantically chasing after something that will not fulfill. And I think we have to guard our hearts, our souls diligently against such things. We have to discover idols. And if we discover idols in a full life, the question is, how do we do that? Well, here's the deal. I know that the idols in our lives probably are not like the idols that you read about in the Old Testament. There's probably not anybody in this room that has a golden calf set up in the backyard. 
you're probably not bowing down to something on your on your nightstand. Uh, there's probably not a carved image. You're not a cedar pole out back. Not an Asherah pole set up. I get it. You probably didn't worship the moon or the star. I say that some of you probably read the horoscope this week, and maybe that's what you're aligning your life towards. I don't know. Maybe that's a part of of your life. Probably not many of you that are, are doing some of the things that you would read about. But the deal is, is this: is that in this day and time idolatry takes different forms and shapes, oftentimes in a materialistic nature that you're encouraged to live here in America. Matter of fact, we would long to go to Mexico for a slower schedule, and a lot of our friends in Mexico would long to come here to pursue the American dream, to make more money, to become more famous. And at the end of the day, is that what it is? Is it a pursuit of happiness? Is that the goal? Or is it a pursuit of holiness? And I think that's a challenge for many of us in here. Maybe it's the pursuit of pleasure. Maybe that's what you long for. Maybe it's a, a nicer house. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's fame. For some of you in here, it's sports. And you go, oh, I don't struggle with sports. Maybe it's sports for your kid. I don't know about you, but my kids are, are playing. And, and if you're not careful, you'll want the kid that dribbles the best, that shoots the best. If you're not careful, not only will you put pressure on them, but ultimately you'll feel unneeded and unnecessary pressure on you. Man, I don't work with my kids enough. They don't shoot the way that everybody else shoots. Oh, man, they get blown out. I mean, at the end of the day, the question is, is that the most important thing? Is it about shooting a basketball? Is it throwing a football? Is it excellent form? Is it elite clubs? Is it sports? Is it schedule? I don't know. I don't think so. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is if you're not careful as a parent, you're comparing yourself to other kids and, and their uh, success on a court or off the court with good grades or whatever it is, is Man, God, is that what I'm supposed to pursue? How do we begin to discover what an idol might be, even with our kids? I had one parent come up to me at the end of the day, and she said, you revealed something. I was like, no, 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 I didn't reveal anything. God might have revealed something. She said, my daughter, even though she's in college, has become an idol for us. And I said, well, I think you've got a couple of steps to take. I said, one is you need to go confess that to a couple of people. Thanks for confessing that to me. I said, one of the places you should start is confessing that to your daughter. And I said, and then apologize for putting any unnecessary demands or expectations in her life as a result of her becoming an idol in yours. She said, that's the first conversation I'm going to have today. And I said, I pray that it goes well. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll put demands and expectations on our kid that ultimately are not from the Lord and do not honor him in our lives. It's idolatry. What about perfect bodies? Working out, eliminating food and calories. What's your motivation behind that? substances, drugs, fulfillment, anything to chase all the worry, all the hurt, all the pain away. Ultimately, it's something that we have to ask God about. Philosophies, empty religion, is that what it is that you're worshiping? Hobbies, music, here's one, yard of the month. Listen, you don't know that yard of the month is a problem until you go rip the yard of the month sign out of somebody else's yard because you think it should be in yours. <laughs> or you're driving down and you're like, oh, you see their yard? You're like, oh, I don't even know how they got that. That's when you know it's a problem. When you begin to compare your place, your acreage, your cows, your stuff to everybody else, it's idolatry. At the end of the day, I get it. It may not be Buddha on a shelf but it may be materialistic things that you're searching after. It may be the values of this life that are crowding you out. It's a flipping 
of what God had intended. That's what Paul writes to the church in Romans about, in Romans chapter 1. I think it's brilliant the way that he words it. And the reason why is because it, it identifies with us in our human nature and our flesh, the wandering soul. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. There's a concerning word right there in verse 21. Although they knew God. It didn't, he didn't write, although they were pagans, and even though they had a pantheon of gods. He goes, even though they knew God even though they knew about him, even though they were spiritual, even though they were religious, even though they sat in seats and in synagogues and at Stone Point Church on a Sunday morning for 10 weeks, he goes, they didn't know God the way that they intended to know God. Why? Because they didn't honor him. See, last week we talked about if you're going to find fulfillment in God, it's best displayed through your obedience. Our obedience says a whole lot about our worship to a holy God. And so he says, they, they didn't know God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you see the flip? God created us to have him first, humanity second, and all the creation underneath. We're to rule over it, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And instead, what we have done in our culture is we have taken the created things and we've placed them as a priority in our lives. Somehow there uh, is animals as a top priority in our life, which I love animals, but at the end of the day, they're not, they should not be worshipped. Our kids shouldn't be worshipped. Created things shouldn't be worshipped. It should be God, but we flipped it. And when you do that, what, what Paul's writing to the church of Rome, he goes, your mind is futile and you become fools. And your foolish hearts are darkened. And if you're not careful, you will do what verse 25 says. And it says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It is a tragedy in our lives when we somehow take something that is futile and we worship it above the one who created it. And so God says, look, I should be first. So you should discover idols. Why? Because cheap substitutes will never satisfy. They'll cost you more than you really want to pay. Cheap substitutes will never satisfy. And so the question is, is what is it that you're longing to satisfy? You might ask yourself, what is it that I lay at bed thinking about? What is it that I can't wait to get out of here and go do? What is it that I can't shut my mind off about? What is that? That might be an idol. Might not be, but it might. So ask God, will you help me discover my idols? And then listen, very, very clearly, lean in here. When you discover an idol, you must destroy it. The lady comes up to me and she goes, I was with you on point one. I knew it was my daughter. And then you said, destroy the idol. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. That's when the Old Testament, I said, they destroyed them uh, by fire. I'm not asking you to go take your, your, your daughter and do something to her. But I said, at the end of the day, destroying an idol is a key. Listen, if you don't destroy the idols in your life, you can count on a destroyed life. If you don't destroy the idols in your life, you can count on them destroying your life. And you may go, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, you know, Brandon, I'm not really sure, but here's the deal. If you don't understand idols and what they are, then you won't see the importance of this. But here's what you need to know about idols. Number one, they are futile, really. 
What that means is that they don't see, they don't hear. Matter of fact, Psalm 115.5 says they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. At the end of the day, your idols do nothing for you. They can't help you. They can't hear you. That's different than the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God who sent his son Jesus to be fulfillment for us. He goes, I'm with you low to the very end of the age. Hey, wherever you are, I am. I see you when you sit and when you rise. I see when you come, when you go. I know everything about you. I know the number of hairs on your head. I hear you when you speak. See, our God is alive and he hears us. A lot different than our our idols. When's the last time that your golf clubs replied to you? When's the last time that they heard you in all your complaining and all your cussing and all your madness? When's the last time they said, hey, thanks for throwing me that far? (laughs) They don't hear, they don't see, they don't help in any way. They're futile. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel 12, 21 tells us how useless they are. It says, you must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. At the end of the day, our idols are futile. They're foolish and they make us fools. And so we need to guard our hearts against such a thing. There's a guy named uh, Hideyoshi. Uh, Hideyoshi was a Japanese warlord in the late 1500s. He was known and is still known today uh, for creating many of the Japanese um, images that are even worshipped today. One of which he created was a huge statue of Buddha in the late 1500s, 1590s. And uh, it took about 50,000 men over five years to build this thing as it set with a shrine. Um, and uh, in 1596, there was a huge earthquake in which the shrine toppled that huge image. It's said that in the historical accounts that he took an arrow and he shot an arrow at that carved image as it was lying in ruins, and he said these words. He said, I have spent a fortune building you, Buddha, and you couldn't even take care of your own temple. At the end of the day, listen, carved images and useless idols do us no good. So we should guard our hearts. We should seek to discover them, and when we discover them, we should destroy them. Why? Because if we're not careful, they will take too much of our lives. You might wonder, well, what does God say about destroying idols? Well, he told the people of Israel, the same ones, he says, you should have no gods before me. You should have no carved images or any other thing ahead of me. This is what he said would happen as a warning to Israel when those things got as a priority in their lives. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 26, 27, 33. Lean in with me, because even though it's the Old Testament, it's extremely relevant to this, this time in our lives. Um, but if you, but if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Doesn't that sound wonderful? You think God is serious about this with the people of Israel? He goes, I'll destroy your high places. I'll cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And then he says, and my soul will be, uh, will pour you and I will lay your cities in waste and I will make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies will settle in it 
and that they'll be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. Perhaps in all of the fury of God, the thing that concerns me most is that one line, and I will scatter you among the nations. What he says is, I long to give you land, people, and blessings, but if you put other things ahead of me, I will leave you to it, and I'll let you be scattered. What he says is this. He goes, listen, if you're looking for something to fulfill your soul, if you're going to chase after it, he goes, I'll give you over to it. I'll let you live a scattered life in which you seek to find whatever it is your appetite chasing. He goes, I'll unsheathe the sword after you, and your land will be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. At the end of the day, he goes, if you don't seek to find fulfillment and rest in me, you will live a life of frustration. And I think that's the question. Do you want fulfillment in your life or do you want to be frustrated? And maybe you're here and you go, you know what? I am frustrated at life. I'm just frustrated. I'm, I'm, tired, of, I'm tired of raising kids that I think are rebellious. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of living in this job that takes too much of my time. I'm just miserable. I'm unsettled. I, I'm just mad at life. I'm mad at God. I don't understand why he put me in this place. Perhaps that's when you'll know that you're chasing after something that will not fulfill. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, I thought it was just a midlife crisis. No, I don't think so. I think it's the Lord, in a sense, giving you over to your appetite, to the very will of your soul. See, God didn't create us to be miserable. God created us to find rest and fulfillment in His Son, Jesus. And you won't find rest if you don't discover idols and destroy them. Get this. God warned the people of Israel, and king after king after king in Israel's day would not listen to the Lord. Finally, there's a guy named Josiah. He took the throne when he was eight years old. And when he was eight years old, he took, not only takes the throne of Israel, but you know what his top priority was? Is to, is to begin to take down the carved images, the Asherah poles, and all the other idols to Baal. He goes, I'm going to destroy them. All the other ancestors and kings of Israel wouldn't do it, but he goes, I'm going to do it. And here's the deal. God says, okay, I'll honor that for a while. And he does. Josiah, this eight-year-old boy who takes over the throne, he begins to say, I'm going to tear down things. I'm going to destroy them as a priority in our nation, even though other kings would never do so. You may be here and you go, okay, I, I get it. I should destroy idols. Maybe I need to figure out what they are. But here's what I think is true of every one of us in this room. Every one of us is chasing after a God of some kind. And number two, your life will reflect the very God you're chasing after. So what I'm saying is there is a God. It may not be the one true God, but you are chasing after a God of some kind. It's an idol, and your life will take shape of that same idol. You go, well, how do I know that I'm chasing after the one true God? Well, I think you'll begin to exemplify the characteristics of a one true God. You'll love well. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is what Galatians 5, and 23 says. The idea is that you begin to take the shape and the form of God. Has anyone said to you lately, man, you are so godly, and man, I'm so grateful for your influence in my life. If they haven't, if that's not the compliment, if that's not what you're known for at work, the bottom line is you're replacing your life with something else. You should discover it and destroy it. And as you do that, you should begin to do the third thing, and that is deepen a love for God and for, I think you could say, other people. Deepen a love for God and other people. Here's what I think you need to know. The more that we love this world, 
the less room we have in our lives for God. And the more that we begin to love God well, the less room we have for things of this world. At the end of the day, we're making room in our life for something. What is it? More of God or more of other stuff? Now, here's the deal. At the end of the day, can I just help, can I just help you understand something about me? Um, at the end of the day, I would love to get up here and tell you that every single day I'm in the Scripture, and every single day I'm a loving husband and a loving father, and every single day I exemplify the character of God in all that I do. But can I just be honest with you? That's not my life. And I bet it's not yours either. I just want you to realize that I'm a, a man. I'm a man uh, that, that loves Jesus, but is prone to leave after other things that this world offers. And if I'm not careful, I can begin to seek satisfaction from cheap substitutes. I can chase uh, dreams, even in, in, in a position of pastor for our church, for higher attendance, for greater commitment. If I'm not careful, I can be harsh. I can be an overzealous shepherd, almost beating our sheep into submission for my own personal gain, for my own satisfaction. There's something about the human will that what has an appetite of, of people-pleasing. I mean, isn't it nice to be known as one of the fastest-growing churches in East Texas? I'm... Do you see how you can get caught up in that cycle? Do you see how I can find my soul longing for better things, for more obedient kids, for better kids that are at? Do you see how the, the cycle is just endless? And if I'm not careful, if I'm not continually deepening my love for God and other people, then I'll miss the mark. Why? Because I want to live a life that's full. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, our culture tells us a lie about what a full life looks like. And so that's one of the reasons that I really am promoting community. That's one of the reasons that I need friends in my life, men, in some cases women, uh, to help shepherd my wife and I, to remind us that we're not the chief shepherd. That at the end of the day, it's not about what Brandon says that goes. At the end of the day, it's about a body that's working in unison together, no part greater than the other. And so one of the things that we've done recently is that we've implemented some core values into our journey groups. If you're not in a journey group, I think these are important in your life and maybe a reason in two weeks you should come to group link and get plugged into a journey group. Why? Because the journey group I have now can continually ask me about these four areas in my life. One of them is about as I seek to love and deepen my relationship with God and other people is the question, hey, what are you learning in God's word? How are you abiding in the word daily? Now, listen, that doesn't mean that I abide in God's word daily, but it means that I should be striving to do that. Not as a result of legalism or beating myself up because I'm not the perfect Christian. That's not the goal. The goal is I abide daily so that I deepen my understanding and my love and my commitment for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the very one who purchased me at a high price. And the goal of it is that I would be transformed, that I would make more room in my life for the God who loves me. And I don't know about you, but maybe you struggle with discipline. Maybe you struggle with making time. Maybe you go, I'm so busy, I just don't have the time to do that every day. Brandon, I think you're a little bit unrealistic. Listen, Jesus says it clearly, John 15. I'm divine, you are the branches. The man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from you, you can do nothing. At the end of the day, I want to be a fruit bearer for God's things and God's kingdom, plans, and purposes. I can't do that without him. 
And so we should abide daily. Secondly, we should devote relationally. When we devote relationally, it begins, we begin to build some friendships. And when we begin to build friendships, we begin to build trust. And when we have trust, a higher degree of trust always brings a greater depth of vulnerability. Write that down. The greater trust brings a greater commitment of vulnerability. The more we get to know one another, the one, more we come comfortable with one another, the more that we'll begin to have conversations over things in our life. And that's when we make room for great relationships. And those great relationships, as we devote relationally, then gives us permission to live authentically. You got that? Greater trust brings greater vulnerability. I can begin now to share, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with. I wrestle with people-pleasing. I, re- I wrestle with pride. I wrestle with per- uh, uh, perfection. Um, in my past, uh, I had a troubled one of dealing and wrestling with pornography. Um, there's been a lot of things in my life that didn't honor and please God. And so I live authentically sharing that with, with men in my life. Why? As a means to remind me that my soul needs Jesus, that it shouldn't wonder. So what I seek to do, discover uh, my idols, destroy them so I can deepen my understanding and my love for God. You got that? And then the last one is that you would begin to allow people to admonish you biblically. So think about it. As I abide in God's word and develop relationships, and I live authentically the truth. I've got a couple of guys right now in my life that can go, hey, I'm not sure that that was wise. I'm not sure that the way that you spoke to your wife was honoring. Hey, the pressure that you put on your kids right there, man, is that really from the Lord or is that to appease your own little appetite? Do you see how that goes? Now listen, I get it. There's a lot of us in here. We're scared to death of that. We're, we're scared to death of being that known. But I just tell you, that's the greatest thing in my life is to have other people that are in the ditch with me. They know how corrupt my mind is apart from Christ. They know how, how eager I am to chase after the pursuit of the world as opposed to chase after the things of Christ if I'm not careful. And at the end of the day, I think that's what the church is about. I think that's what it should be about. It's not our false pretensions. It's not about faking it. It's about ultimately discovering our idols, destroying them, and deepening our love for God and other people. If you don't have it, I pray that you'll get it. And I pray that you'll find it here, that we can help you begin to discover God in a way that's fresh and new. Because at the end of the day, your soul is going to chase something, and it'll only be fulfilled by the Christ, the one who bought you at a high price. Now listen, you, you might have heard me uh, a couple of weeks ago or even uh, in the la- end of last year go, you know what, hey, we're going to have this challenge at the beginning of the year. We're going to talk about us physically. and Man, I can't wait. We're going to get our bodies in shape and in check. Listen, there is no point in caring for the temple of the Holy Spirit if you don't understand what the temple is housing. And so next week, we're going to begin moving towards the temple and why that's important. But you need to clarify and understand that God has created you with a wiring in your soul for a God. And if you're not fulfilled by him, then you won't care for the temple well. At the end of the day, if you're caring for your body and you're not caring for your soul, that's called idolatry. And we'll get into that more next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for our desire to know and understand the Scriptures. And as we think about deepening our love for you, I can't help but think about what David wrote in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so our soul should pant after you. 
God, when's the last time that our soul just thirsted after the living God? When's the last time that we wanted to be fulfilled by streams of living water? When's the last time that we were nourished by your word? When's the last time that we had somebody ask us a clarifying question of what we're learning, what we're discovering in your scripture? Lord, when's the last time that we sought to really discover our idols so we could destroy them, get them out of our lives? God, help us. Because at the end of the day, we want to care for the soul that you've entrusted to us. And we know that we're prone to, look, to, to wonder after things that will not fulfill. We'll seek and not find. We'll be intrigued by everything and fulfilled by nothing. And so God, help us to be fulfilled with you and you alone. Help us to guard our soul, to care for it, to nourish it, to share what we're struggling with with other people so that we do not flip the goal of having the creator above the creation. And so God, help us to love you. Help us to identify cheap substitutes that don't satisfy. And help us, God, to surrender our wills, our minds, our emotions to you. The God who loved us and purchased us at a high price. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.